Welcome back, everyone. This is Sam. And this is Kareen, and we are two Octucks. In this week's episode, we will be focusing on head and neck cancers, and we will go over all of the important details on the epidemiology, diagnosis, staging, and treatment of head and neck cancers. And we know that the management of head and neck cancers is complex and often needs to involve a multidisciplinary team, including head and neck surgeons, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists like Sam and I, plastic surgery in some cases, dentistry, speech therapy, and nutrition consultations, amongst others. Exactly. This is truly a multidisciplinary tumor um, that requires many teams and all hands on deck. It's also, I think, a very complicated um, tumor type. And so especially with the anatomy of the head and neck, at least for me, it was very hard to learn the nuances of this. So to start us off, what are risk factors for head and neck cancers? So approximately 75% of head and neck cancers can be attributed to tobacco and alcohol use. So primary prevention is the utmost importance. And there are genetic conditions such as Fanconi anemia and dyskeratosis congenita, which can increase the risk of head and neck cancers. And then finally, there are multiple viruses implicated in head and neck cancers. HPV-related cancers are often squamous, head and neck, and often oropharyngeal cancers. And then if you see EBV, think about nasopharyngeal cancer. Definitely. I think those are two big buzzwords with HPV being oropharyngeal and EBV being nasopharyngeal. And so tell me more about these HPV-related tumors. So HPV testing is done by P16 immunohistochemistry, and the tumoral expression of this P16 protein reflects biologically relevant HPV infection. And so in the eighth edition of the AJCC cancer staging, they adopted P16 overexpression by immunohistochemistry defined as more than 75% tumor expression as a surrogate for HPV positivity in oropharyngeal cancers. And the reason that we care is that HPV-positive tumors have a distinct tumor biology, and there was a study published in the New England Journal in 2010, which showed that a much higher survival was seen in those that were HPV-positive versus those that were HPV-negative. And this is because these patients had less local regional failure, less distant metastases, and often they did not have a smoking history. Definitely. I think knowing if a head and neck cancer is HPV positive is one of the most important things. I believe they actually have their own separate staging and there is no such thing as a stage four. Um, So very important to know the HPV status. Also important to have people get vaccinated against HPV as a possible prevention. And next things is what are the anatomic divisions in head and neck cancers? This part we are going to have to listen to over and over again right before your board reviews. So it's confusing and it's important to know the anatomy and head and neck cancers. So the oral cavity includes the buccal mucosa, the floor of the mouth, the anterior two thirds of the oral tongue, the alveolar ridge and the hard palate. The oropharynx includes the tongue base, tonsils, inferior soft palate and the posterior pharynx. The nasopharynx includes the superior to soft palate, posterior to the nasal cavity. The hypopharynx includes the hyoid bone to the cricoid cartilage. The larynx includes the supraglottic, glottic, and rarely the subglottic areas. And finally, there's also the nasal cavity in the paranasal sinuses. 
Definitely. You guys should listen to that a few times because knowing the anatomy of the head and neck is so important in this disease type. And so how do head and neck cancers present and what is a diagnostic evaluation? So many presenting signs and symptoms are associated with a particular primary site. For example, hoarseness may suggest larynx or hypopharynx cancers. And then the location of the lymph nodes can suggest the primary site. And so the initial staging usually involves direct laryngoscopy by our ENT colleagues with biopsies of the primary disease and or nodal disease. And then you're going to need to do CT or MRI of the head and neck areas, as well as chest imaging. Great. And so how are head and neck cancers staged? So as we mentioned earlier, it's important to know that the staging is different for HPV versus non-HPV related and also based on the anatomic location. So make sure that you look this up when you're looking at the staging. But a general rule of thumb is that early stage disease is defined as a small primary tumor, so T1 or T2, with a low risk of nodal involvement. So think of a tumor that's equal or less than four centimeters with no lymph node involvement. And then when we think about locally advanced, this is usually a larger primary tumor, so T3 or T4, so anything greater than four centimeters, or if you have the presence of large, multiple, or contralateral regional lymph nodes. And so just a general rule of thumb for the lymph node status, and again, this isn't completely comprehensive, but N1 are generally under three centimeters. N2 are if you have one lymph node over three centimeters or two lymph nodes under six centimeters, and that is considered to be stage 4A disease. And then if you have N3 disease, that's any lymph node greater than six centimeters, and that's stage 4B. And then stage 4C is distant metastatic disease. This is important because some of these patients may have stage 4 disease, but they're only lymph node positive and may have curable disease. And within the staging process, do we have to get a PET scan? So PET scans are optional, but preferred in node positive disease, especially those that are N2 or N3. Otherwise, we can just do a chest CT. Great. And what are the principles of treatment for locally advanced disease? So those early stage, as I mentioned, those under four centimeters with no lymph nodes, generally you're going to do surgery if they're resectable. And if there's a contraindication to surgery, then you can do definitive radiation. For those that are locally advanced, so think of those larger tumors more than four centimeters, or if there's positive lymph nodes, you can either consider surgery followed by adjuvant radiation, depending on the location, or chemo with radiation up front. And there's usually no rule for adjuvant chemotherapy alone due to previous studies showing no overall survival benefit. So if you're going to pick an adjuvant regimen in head and neck, make sure you're picking chemotherapy with radiation. Great. And so what about specifics based on the anatomy of the head and neck? So for oral cavity cancers that are localized, you can consider surgery. And for those that are in the oropharynx, usually it's going to be radiation with or without chemotherapy. And then for the larynx, hypopharynx, and it's usually going to be chemo with radiation over surgery in order to maintain functionality. And then finally, for the nasopharynx, again, because of the surgical location, surgery is not going to be the answer. Great. And what is the role of induction therapy? So there's a small but non-statistically benefit, non-statistically significant benefit of induction therapy based on a meta-analysis in the reduction of prevalence of distance metastasis with induction chemotherapy. 
So it's considered for those that might be at high risk for distant metastases. And if induction chemotherapy is chosen, what is the regimen that we use? So the regimen is known as TPF, and it contains three drugs, which are docetaxel, cisplatin, and fluorouracil. Great. And what are the concurrent chemoradiation regimens that we use in head and neck cancers? So the standard of care regimen is cisplatin, 100 milligrams per meter squared every three weeks. And remember the key toxicities of head and neck radiation, including mucositis, edema, xerostomia, and then there are also long-term toxicities to be aware of, including hypothyroidism, so you might need to check routine TSH, osteoradionecrosis of the mandible, as well as long-term induration and fibrosis. And at the completion of chemoradiation, you're going to do a PET scan, but it's important to wait 12 weeks to do the PET. Right. And so can you also discuss organ preservation and head and neck cancers? Because this is important. So there was an older trial in 1991 that looked at preserving the larynx, and they found that those patients with surgery had improved local regional control to chemoradiation, but the survival was similar in both. So it basically showed that it was feasible to do larynx preservation. And this is only appropriate if the patient has a good performance status, does not have any contraindication to completing the full course of the chemotherapy, and does not have a T4 tumor with cartilage invasion. So if they give you a T4 larynx tumor invading the cartilage, you're going to need to do surgery. Definitely. And so are there any alternatives if patients are not eligible for cisplatin? Yes. So as in other tumor types, as we've mentioned in prior episodes, remember your contraindications to cisplatin, including if there is renal dysfunction, if there are hearing issues, consider doing baseline audiology evaluation if needed. And so for those that are cisplatin ineligible, carboplatin with 5-FU is the preferred category one option. And, And there is also in terms of concurrent radiation with chemo, there's the option of concurrent radiation with cetuximab, but this is inferior to cisplatin, even if they're low risk based on a few studies. So this is category 2B. Definitely. And so who needs adjuvant treatment after surgery? So this is extremely important to commit to memory. So if there are positive margins after surgery or extracapsular extension with the abbreviation of ECE, make sure that you consider adjuvant chemoradiation. As I mentioned, adjuvant chemo alone is not going to be the option, but if someone has a positive margin or this positive extracapsular extension, they need adjuvant chemoradiation. And there was a study showing that weekly cisplatin 40 milligrams per meter squared is non-inferior to the cisplatin 100 milligrams per meter squared every three weeks. So you have either option. I think that's extremely high yield to remember. I remember us having a test question on this. And so if someone has definitive therapy, how soon can you perform imaging afterwards? And what do we image them with? So as I mentioned, make sure to wait 12 weeks for the PET scan to allow time for a response. And if the PET scan is negative, you can observe. If it's equivocal, you repeat again in three to six months. And if it's positive, you repeat a CT or MRI followed by a biopsy. And following definitive surgery, The majority of recurrences happen within two years, so surveillance is really important, but practices vary widely and more trials on this are needed. Great. And so next, what do we do about nasopharyngeal cancer? So remember that these are highly associated with EBV, and don't pick surgery as an answer 
even if it's early stage, because of the deep anatomic location and proximity to critical structures, which makes surgery difficult. So those that are stage one, you're going to do radiation alone. Those that are stage two to four A, the treatment is concurrent chemoradiation with some consideration for induction chemotherapy. And the regimen is different for these that are EBV positive. Gemcitabine cisplatin is the category one option for chemotherapy uh, if you're going to do induction. And then if you're EBV negative, you can consider that same TPF regimen as in the other head and neck cancers. And then if you are going to do chemoradiation, again, it's cisplatin-based, and there is consideration for adjuvant chemotherapy, sometimes in nasopharyngeal cancer, which is cisplatin and 5-FU-based. And then lastly, how do we treat recurrent or metastatic head and neck cancer? So sometimes salvage surgery or radiation can be considered, especially if there's oligometastatic disease. In terms of metastatic disease, the preferred option as of the last few years is based on Keynote 48, where we have pembrolizumab with a platinum, so either cisplatin or carboplatin with 5-FU. And this improved the overall survival compared to cetuximab with platinum 5-FU with a difference in overall survival of 13 months versus 10.7 months. And the trial also had an arm where those that were pdl one positive defined by a CPS score greater or equal to one could get pembrolizumab alone. So make sure you check pdl one status on these patients. And then the other option, which was the previous approval in metastatic head and neck cancer is the extreme trial where we had, instead of the pembrolizumab, cetuximab with this platinum 5-FU regimen. And in the past, before we had the Keynote 48 regimen, the second line would be immunotherapy. But now that patients are generally getting immunotherapy in the first line setting, we would pick alternative agents in the second line setting. So we have cisplatin, cetuximab, other single agent chemotherapies. There's also the option of efatinib, which is a category 2B for progression after after platinum agents. But overall, we need more clinical trials to improve our second and third line options in these cancers. Agreed. Karine, that was an awesome review on all of our head and neck cancers. And so what are our key takeaways for this episode? So remember that HPV cancers are identified by this P16 immunohistochemistry, and those have a better prognosis. Remember that early stage cancers under four centimeters with no positive lymph nodes, you can do surgery alone or definitive radiation alone. And those that are local, regionally advanced, unresectable. So think of those that are greater than four centimeters or have positive lymph nodes, you're going to think of chemo radiation. And then for chemo radiation, always think of cisplatin based regimens, either that hundred milligrams per meter squared every three weeks or the 40 milligrams per meter squared weekly. And think of your contraindications to cisplatin in some cases where you might need to use carboplatin, 5-FU or cetuximab instead. And for those that have surgery up front, Commit to memory the positive margin or positive extranodal extension because those will need adjuvant chemoradiation after. And again, will be that uh, same cisplatin radiation regimen. And then remember your metastatic regimen in the first line setting now, the standard is the Keynote 48 trial of pembrolizumab with platinum and 5-FU. And if the PDL1 is high, you can give pembrolizumab alone. Awesome. So thank you guys so much. And as always, good luck on studying with for your boards. Please feel free to reach out with us with corrections or comments on our Instagram or our Twitter to Docs.